With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Welcome back, everybody, to what is surely to be uh, a mammoth edition of ESSR Central that we are that we are here to bring you and you know talk about everything from Clash at the Castle to All Out, World Collide, and everything else, and Fallout from Raw and everything. And God, you know, who knew that we'd have so much stuff from behind the scenes that's probably more interesting than whatever happened in the ring to talk about, and we'll. We'll get to all of that in good time, but you know, it's me, Scott McLeod, once again taking over hosting duties from Ross McLeod, who's been on holiday. And some people have been speculating that Ross isn't on holiday, that maybe Ross has moved on from ESSR. Maybe that I, you know, used some political stroke to, you know, move Ross along as host of Central. And I want to make it clear I haven't had anything to do with Ross McLeod in almost a decade and probably wanted to do, probably wanted nothing to do with him for even longer than that. It's fucking unfortunate that I have to come here on a podcast as a grown-ass adult male. Well, not grown-ass, I mean, I turned 26 on Sunday. I don't feel like I've grown up. But I can come here on a podcast as a grown-ass man and, you know, let people know who I am and not friends. Of, I gave Ross money. That was enough. He shares a bank account with his fiancés, mothers, sisters, granddaughters, Doug. Ross the cloud to us. 2022, and I got people who have been co-hosted Adger Live with me who couldn't manage a fucking who couldn't manage a fucking Primark <laughs> know who I am and I'm not doing Central with. It's fucking embarrassing. I work with children on this podcast. That's joking. We're all friends. Yeah, I love everyone on ESSR. Well, mostly everyone. The other ones know what they did. <laughs> You're on ESSR Central. You know, I'm twisting the words of a certain person who will definitely have a lot to talk about uh, later on in the show. But I'm joined uh, by a man who's found the time after he buggered off down to Cardiff comparing undisputed editor to the late natural man Randy Savage. Check out uh, Wrestling Mixed, the first episode of that. Uh, if you want more context, it's David Hockney. For the last time, it wasn't a comparison between Undisputed Era and Randy Savage. It was a point of merch, effectively, wearing your favourite superstars merch. So by no means are they on par with Randy Savage because, you know, you, it's subjective at this point. But nah, check out Mixtape and maybe maybe my comments could be made a bit clearer. But all I will say is it was really nice getting down to Cardiff the weekend to see my first premium live event. And I'm only glad that it wasn't hosted in the town of Clanbeer, Pulgwin, Gilgory, Gerry, Quinn, Droboland, Clandy, Silio, Gori, Gorigog. Yes, that is indeed a place. And before you ask, I wasn't having a stroke. I was trying to pronounce the um, name of the world's longest town name. 
Yes, yes, I understand what you were doing. Mm-hmm. The way we probably wouldn't even appearance in the energy space. We're here in Wales or we're here just outside of Cardiff. We'll, we'll make something out, even if the two are like miles apart from each other, because they still have no problem with saying we're in the shadow of New York City, aka we're in New Jersey. Or <laughs> some reason have an issue with saying that they're in New Jersey for whatever reason. I don't know anything about New Jersey. If you're an American, Please let us know. Is there any issues with saying that you are doing a show in New Jersey? Yes, no. Well, basically, you're associating yourself with the Jersey Shore, and that's not something you want to be uh, be close to. Oh, well, there's a lot more to New Jersey than than this. That there's Atlantic City. There's a lot of things. Mm-hmm. We're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about wrestling, and of course, Cardiff. Well, yeah, that. But you know, we need. To, I needed for Central. Somebody give me a live perspective. Somebody who was there in the principality saw it with their own eyes rather than just watching on television. Was there amongst the 62 plus thousand people at the time where we didn't didn't really budge up their attendance all that much. It was actually fairly accurate for once. Mm -hmm. Better to give me that live perspective than the one and only John Isherwood. That's right. John Isherwood, I reached out to the man specifically asking him, have you got any comments? Regarding you know your live experience from uh, from Clash of the Castle, you were there in the crowd. You guys got to see John Isherwood as well while you were down there, and he says the following: He says, "Getting to catch up with the guys in the SSR was just ace. The crowd was on fire all night. I lost my voice singing Metalingus. Thought the six woman tag was decent. Jameson and Gunther as well as Riddle versus Rollins were both excellent, and the main event had the, one of the best near falls I've ever seen in ages. They better do this again next year." Aye, my sentiments exactly. There, John Isherwood. Who else's thoughts that was there? Like, could I possibly think of getting? I am right here, you know. I know. Oh, sorry, Dave. Were you in Cardiff? You haven't mentioned it. Yes, I was actually. Um, and you know what? I've actually at least I've made the effort to to talk to you today here. So, can I at least share my thoughts on the experience? Oh, you, oh I've made the effort. Oh, it's such an effort to talk to me. All right, I didn't need you on this. Okay. Yeah, I still put myself. I, I have a life. Bring that attitude, all right? Just because you went down to Wales. First time in Wales, right. actually, altogether. But anyway, you're, it was Cardiff. I was to actually be in the venue as you were one of oh, several yeah. our final members to be there. So it was pretty buzzing, actually. Um, not just in Principality, but in and around the town centre. You know, they'd set up the superstore in the shopping centre. Now, when me and Stevie got there, we arrived on Friday lunchtime and we went straight to the to the store. Now, there was a bit of a queue outside the door, but we only took us about five, ten minutes to get in. So I think we got count ourselves lucky that we got in at a good time. Uh, we got a photo with uh, Georgina Smith, Davy Boy's daughter, who was doing um, sort of like acting as like an unofficial hostess of the of the superstore. So that was pretty cool. Uh some of the guys got to do the Undertaker experience, meet Bret Hart. Uh, so, yeah, all in all, the weekend, it was pretty loaded with, you know, various experiences, not just the event itself. Uh, but, yeah, I'll, um, shall I get my thoughts on the, the actual Clash at the Castle event itself? No, 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 I've got a, I've got a system here for how we're going to go through that. But in terms of, like, where you guys were sitting, I know you and Stephen were sitting together, but how close were you to, like, the other guys you know, on the podcast? I know, like, Gary and... So Stephen and I were sat about um, kind of where 
when the entrance ramp comes out and there was that fenced off bit where Edge was doing his entrance, he ran out to that little fenced area. Mm-hmm. We were kind of sat in line with that. And the rest of the guys were a bit further along, sort of in the corner of the stadium on the same-ish kind of side. It wasn't like they were on the other side of the stadium, unlike, you know, Chris Murray was there, Goat was there with his cousins. I think they were all mostly on that side. But the guys like Gary, Derek, Quacko and that, they were all in the sort of corner of the arena. That was a, so it was the view then? It was actually pretty decent, you know, um, for the value, for the price of the tickets we got, uh, I think it was about 70 quid per ticket where we were sat. But it was a, a good spot to be in, all things considered, because you, you could see the ring directly in, in our eye line and you didn't have to squint either. You could actually see, you know, you could make out who was in the ring quite clearly. And when they came down the ramp, you know, they were actually a lot closer than you imagined. And when they came back, you could actually see them and applaud them and stuff. It was... Uh, yeah, I was very pleased with where we were sat. Oh, there you go, very good. But, Although uh, there was a there was a distinct lack of pyro, unfortunately. Some of the noises were made for like Roman's entrance and Seamus's entrance, and the closest thing we got was uh the smoke machine for Edge's entrance. Yeah, I'm not Qua- sure. Quacko, needless to say, Quacko wasn't too happy. I think maybe it's because you know they're used to like running American football stadiums and. Yes, but when they come on here, they just do regular, you know, so principalities used for you know, rugby and, and stuff like that over here. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's a difference in the facilities or whatever to to do the, like, pyro and everything. I know, like, what you were saying, it would be nice to have that kind of, like I said, up and get the full experience of the pyro and everything. Uh, I, was also, I also found it interesting that they chose to, main decoration was, like, the big virtual castle. It was, mm-hmm. like, the ring rather than just, and just like, a standard they've been doing this more often like a standard ramp do you think that's basically you know, they're doing these major like stadium shows like doing a smaller and minimalist like entrance rather than a particular set is a case of like well the more less of a set more less of a distraction there the more basically people we can cram into the building yeah i think that's it i think they just wanted to try and use as many seats as possible because if they'd used a massive like castle themed entrance they would have had to have tarped off a lot of seats because the the tron would have just completely blocked the blocked the view but it didn't matter you know the entrance ramp was sort of set up like a drawbridge anyway which led to the big castle shaped titan tron above the ring so i suppose in a way it did work you know they had the theme of it it was just in a different position effectively yeah it was also like it was kind of an led board thing so it kind of melded in with whatever the guys like different people like titan trons were mm. or between matches you had like the dragon kind of breathing the fire, so you got that that effect going through like the virtual screens and on the castle mm-hmm. above the ring. So, in terms of that kind of production value, you know, yeah, it's WWE their production values. You know, in terms of wrestling, there they do it better than anybody. And I think there was only so much they could have brought over as well. So maybe they could have foregone the uh, the ringside LED screens on the barriers, which I think they did do. But it didn't matter. I think they needed the big castle Titantron just so people like right at the back could at least get a decent a decent viewing. Yeah, I think I agree with you in terms of what they were bringing over because like if you were coming over for say a WrestleMania, which is like that means they'd have to stay for like the Monday for the Raw and everything because they always do mm-hmm. them. Yeah, they'd have to stay at least a week. Yeah, so like because I know they take SmackDown like a week in advance, so they could have guys come a few days earlier because there was all sorts of media there. They did a big press conference afterwards and everything, making it feel really like a big deal. And I think it's because you know, 
as soon as the show was over, the parents had to fly straight back because they were in uh, Kansas for mm-hmm. oh, two days later. So it's a case of you know making it as easy as possible for them to get everything in the trucks onto the plane and back across for Monday Night Raw because, you know, in Dewey, that's the, the story here. It's like just constant process, like on for one place, off fly, off on a plane, up to the next place. Yep. So we're going to talk about like the major bits from each show when we get to them and then discuss the rest of the cards. So, of course, we need to talk about the main event of Clash at the Castle. And, you know, I love that all six matches on the show. I'm not going to talk about the pre-show match because, again, when the fuck did that get announced? But hey, the, the pre-show actually really got the crowd going because most of us were sat in our seats for a good hour or so. And, you know, you know, chair the faces, boo the heels. But Madcap Boss and the Street Profits got a pretty decent ovation whilst Austin Theory obviously gets booed out the building. And... Chad Gable was getting a lot of shushes from the crowd because he's just that's the best way to just troll him. Uh, so, anyway, like I said, uh, all matches got like, a good bit of time enough that they gave a lot of time to Drew versus Roman. We're not going to talk about the result just yet, but didn't do it for his full entrance, but he gave him a special little video package. Can I basically the story so far of Drew McIntyre? A lot of stuff that we already kind of know about his journey and everything. And of course, it was set. To broken dreams. We got it. We got broken dreams. Oh, I imagine there was a massive. Oh, if you, we couldn't hear because like, while well, watching it on TV, you could just hear the music and like any sound bites they threw in. Uh, thing, but I imagine when it comes up on the screens in the arena, there was a big pop to hear. Oh, there was. Yeah, I was ideally fist pumped the air. That's how buzzing I was for it. Oh yeah, it really, it really was fitting and. Uh, it's also fitting because uh, if your dream was to see Drew McIntyre win the WWE Undisputed Universal Champions, dream was sadly broken. But as John Ashley would mention, no. Like again, I think quite a few of us still, as much as we had hope, faith in, in Drew, we knew deep down it was kind of a long shot because you know, even though there's been the changeover and management and everything creative, you know, it seems like they've had a plan which involves next year's Mania and Roman Ebbing match with the Rock or whoever. So we all knew it was kind of a long shot for Drew to you know win the whether or not he won the title. But they kept you invested all the near fall and everything. He had Theory attempting to cash in only for Tyson Fury to be the hero. Well, the top for that alone was just spectacular. Uh, and it was really cool to have Tyson Fury and Bret Hart both in the crowd, plus some. UFC champion, I couldn't really, didn't yeah. really know who he was. Yeah, a UFC champion who was pro. You can tell us tell like wear your belt in the crowd when some people know you're from UFC, but who you could tell looked very uncomfortable to be awkwardly holding the belt, like mm-hmm. I'm sitting in my seat here. Like, I mean, you don't see Tyson Fury with all his boxing championships, <laughs> did you? <laughs> but so there was two big two pops, one from the crowd and one in Theory's jaw when he got punched out. Mm-hmm. By Tyson Fury, I love that on Raw, Theory kept fucking up his promo because he couldn't still couldn't talk properly after getting. But, tell you what, though, it was a partisan crowd for Drew massively, you know. And you know, any if any Americans know what, how UK fans respond in comparison to the crowds at live shows and stuff, the crowd is so much more creative, energetic, and enthusiastic with their chants, like. Chat, chatting Drew's name along with the White Stripes music, uh, giving the, the fuck you Roman chants, the who are yous and stuff. You know, it's typical British humour that, you know, 
sort of got the match really going. And everybody was was so hyped, you know, because I think a lot of people believed that Drew was was going to win, including myself. You know, I've said, I thought, this has to be it. It has to be now, because if they don't do it now, when are they going to do it? But needless to say, it, was, it wasn't meant to be. Although the closing segment where they were singing songs, him and Tyson Fury, very, very strange ending, even when it was still on air as well. Like that's something you do like a like as a dark segment, not something that would air live. So I think everybody left feeling a little confused and a little angry as a result. But it didn't take away from the fact that the show overall, it was actually very, very, very good. Yeah, I was going to ask because some people have given conflicting uh, things to this. In terms of when they started singing, did you think the show had already went off air by that point? Because a lot of people yeah. think very dark match like yeah i did i thought as soon as roman and the um the shock appearance of solo sokoa from nxt which helped reigns retain i thought as soon as they walked out i thought that was it i thought that they were off air but then drew said we're still on air so i thought wait are you serious <laughs> no i think he's like are we even on air because i don't think drew even knew what was going on at that point he was- yeah Although there was a moment, you remember when Tyson Fury got in the ring with Roman Reigns and he stared him down? You yeah. know what fans sort of in our section were chatting? We were chanting, knock him out. I don't know if you could hear that on TV at all. And then I legit thought when this happened, because I know for ages when they were wanting to, well, you want to go back to the UK and it was a rumour for ages and it never got proven true. And I'm kind of glad it didn't, that, you know, Drew and Tyson Fury were, you know, jokingly going back and forth on Twitter and that that was actually going to be used to set up a match Drew versus Tyson Fury at a UK show. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be a case of, like, he's going to cover from the guy start singing, and then midway through the song, Tyson's going to, like, turn heel and attack Drew and sail, and then maybe later they'd announce, oh, and the next Saudi show, because the Saudi seemed to like Tyson when he was over there. <laughs> or, or we're actually going back to the UK next year, and that would build to that thing. Like, I legit thought Tyson Fury was going to knock Drew out. And oh, listen, the, the crowd was already pissed off. Like, there was no need for it at all. And luckily, they didn't go with that. I'm not saying I wanted to see about it. The case of like, why else did he fucking? Why else did he stare down Roman? And like, I thought like the whole thing of having him involved in like, is he gonna actually come and do something else with Dewey? Like, either have him involved or don't. That's what. You know what? You know what would have left us happy is that if 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 it went to the dark segment, Tyson Fury got in the ring and legitimately like, you know, he listened to the crowd and just knocked out Roman. I mean, that would have been smashing. But then again, that being said, I think it probably would have had vibes of house show stuff. Because I heard some folk afterwards coming out of the stadium that some people thought it was just a, a glorified house show. But no, I, I disagree with that. I mean, look at what happened earlier in the night. You know, we had damage control, you know, getting the crowd up and running, you know, with the Hey Bailey chance, you know, that was a, that was a given. And then Gunther Sheamus, which I recall we discussed last week, which was going to be probably my favorite match of the night. It turned out to be just that it was arguably, and I said this to Stacey as well, that was arguably the best intercontinental championship match I've seen since Ms. Dolph Ziggler at No Mercy 2017. Like that was sheer brilliance from two big men from start to finish and not only 
was the, the match between them two good? We also had Giovanni Vinci coming back, reuniting to form Imperium. And when Seamus came out with Ridge and uh, Pete Butch done, everybody was immediately chanting bruiserweight. <laughs> it, so it just goes to show where priorities lay before the, act, before the bell rang. But you know what was really, really impressive is that from where me and Stephen were sat, it wasn't as far away compared to some of like you know the upper stand seats and stuff. And yeah. we couldn't hear everything, like every impact in the ring and stuff. But what we could hear was Gunther's chops on Sheamus. They were that loud. Uh, weirdly enough, uh, for me personally, one of the biggest one of the biggest spots for me when I was just watching it uh, on the network. For me, one of the biggest spots that got out of me was just the reveal of Giovanni Vinci. Mm. Yeah. Before he joined up, when it was just him and I, uh, then Marcel Barthel, now uh, Ludwig Kaiser as a tag team. I thought they were solid. Mm-hmm. They were solid as part of Imperium, I think. In the last few months, I heard a lot of people, and as I said, you showing that he was kind of the, the, work, the more of the workhorse of the tag team, some of the impressive stuff he could do. Like, Marcel would die about me, he could catch him in a fucking stacking soup, like, and everything. He's just yeah. I haven't seen a yeah. lot of as Giovanni Vinci, like the, the character that he had in XC2.0. So I think it's a case of like now going back to being what he was as as Eichner, but just under the name. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, like, that that's okay, you know. I just wanted to see Imperium team again. It's a case like these guys are cases of like the team change really isn't going to affect them in that like they still walk, talk, act like Imperium and do mm-hmm. what they did before, just with a different name. So you know, as long as they're not fully like, there's not the only thing that changes the name. It's just everything else is the same. That I'm happy with that, but. I don't know how they did it in the arena, but like it was just like zooming right in on on the never right on Ludwig's face, and he's doing please be upstanding, and he's he assume he's going to save for Waller. It was and pay the respect for Giovanni, and then yeah, got them standing together, and it popped me like oh he's back. Yeah, that it was that was the the nice surprise of the night. Effectively, you know, we were everybody was taken aback by it. Nobody was expecting that. Mm. There you go. Another- Another solid tag team on the main roster, mm-hmm. so, and it's a three per- another three person faction to go up against the brawling brutes. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Like that's, that's what I'm wanting. Like Nietzsche and Kaiser versus fucking Street Profits versus New Day. Who's mm-hmm. Get them the tag division. Let them run wild. Give mm-hmm. them the belts. I don't care mm-hmm. what you say. I don't care what they've got planned for you. So give it to Imperium. Give them everything. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what star rating the that match got, but all I can say is I think everybody loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, and you could tell just from the reaction to Sheamus after the match. You know, he he got a full on standing ovation, and we were chanting for him. And I think he's now naturally gotten over with the crowd, despite you know being a heelish character. But with Imperium now, sort of a full hundred percent unit again, it wouldn't surprise me if the Brawling Brutes you know, went through a face turn altogether by by default. So, and it's really good to see a sort of Seamus, you know, go through a natural face turn because of crowd reaction. Like, because mm-hmm. last time, like 10 years ago, it effectively was just, you know, flick the switch when he first started feuding with Mark Henry. But I think people have now got a new admiration for Seamus in given everything he's done for the past 13 years or however long he's been in the company for. I think Seamus got a lot of shit for a long time because when he was a face from like 
2011 through he had 14, I think he was 2015, he turned heel again after a prolonged period of time out with an injury. But for a long time, he was a face. They kind of, he was just doing what the company wanted to do. He was a smiling, oh, Irish fella. They really played up the Irishness. Like, guess similar to what they made Drew do for a little while during the pandemic, like be, being over, very much pushing the nationality. Mm. And so I think, his accent didn't do the same, though. He's, he's still working with that Scottish American hybrid accent. <laughs> oh, and like 2009 like, where he had a very very thick uh south ayrshire accent but like he so i think that residual stuff plus you know people just might not like and like the fact that he got pushed at times when other people maybe they want to get pushed got pushed. like uh when brian brian one of the times that brian had to go out for his injury was after a match with seamus so i think a lot of people blamed a kick that seamus hit him with retiring Daniel Bryan at one point which mm. was unfair to him so I, th- I think for a long time Seamus has not really got the credit he was there like oh, even when people were praising the bar it was also it was always more on Cesar and a lot of people saying oh, I can't wait for these guys to but so Cesar could go back to his singles like, the singles run so like I think it's about time Seamus got the like, appreciation he deserves and hopefully because I know he's in his early 40s now 44 he, funnily enough <laughs> and I'm not making that up like he's legitimately forty years old. I'm trying. I'm trying to build the man up here. <laughs> he, he, he is somebody who deserves to get that grand slam, even if for like a night, and then was like the next week or whatever, like just so he can say he's a grand slam. He, he fucking deserves it, in my opinion. Aye, for sure. Yeah, but um, I was as good as the intercontinental title match was. There was one thing that definitely stole the show, and it wasn't the Hey Bailey chant. It was. The entire of Principality, all 62,000 of us, singing Metalingus when Edge came out. And he posted on his socials afterwards, like, I think he was completely blown away by the response to his entrance. Um, Largely because he's never, I think he mentioned that he'd never seen any crowd perform metalingus or sing along to it word for word in his life it was pretty pretty surreal thing to be a part of you know bt sport made a video of it wwe uk's uh twitter account was all over it in fact i've got his instagram post here so uh, he said cardiff what can i say you brought it energy passion and fun literally dancing in the aisles at points during the night when we get audiences like that it makes our job which is already the best gig in the world, an absolute mind and heart melting joy. Singing Metalingus word for word at the top of your lungs. I'll never forget the love and I'll take it with me wherever I go. Ray Ray and I turned the clocks back at least a few years anyway last night. Although shoes keep falling off during my matches, apparently. Uh, a few <laughs> surprises, they will be addressed, but that won't take away what a magical night clash at the castle was with one of my best friends. Thank you. Yeah, well, I love about that. Post he put a post there on Twitter very similar to that one, and I love that Dominic Mysterio quote retreated it with a clip of Anakin from Episode Three when he was about <laughs> the younglings, you know, nice. they kind of said like all sound of the dark. <laughs> oh, it's amazing that no other crowd we've had has not had that. Even when he came back, you know, he made a comment. Nobody would say like it's like no matter what country you're in, if you watch days for a certain amount of time and you know that metal links is a banger everybody pretty much knows or at least to the chorus it's arguably the best wrestling theme song uh, ever i'd say 
Yeah, so like who who doesn't know that song? So why is it things you just now I think I just goes to show why UK fans are just overall better. Mm. I, we were pumped when he came out and I think Stevie recorded a video of it as well so it's just good to re-watch it just from our perspective and it was so damn loud the crowd singing along like you couldn't even hear we couldn't even hear the ring announcer from where we were sat but yeah on obviously on watching it back it was a lot clearer mm-hmm. but yeah the atmosphere you know when him and Ray Ray made their entrances were was unreal and this is talking well into the second half of the night when you know fans might start getting a little bit tired and stuff but even from that tag match all the way through to Seth Rollins Matt Riddle in the next match it, nobody had felt like they were getting tired or worn out in fact the quietest I heard them all night was during the Liv Morgan Shayna Baszler match oh to be fair that kind of followed the yeah the- Slugfest and absolute murder of Seamus's chest. Like the man was bleeding. Yeah, I did. I did say last week as well. I had a feeling this was going to be the weakest in terms of interaction, or basically just because of the position it was in. You had all these great matches surrounding it, and it didn't matter where it was going to go. The crowd was just going to be dead for it. I mean, there were fans invested in it. I think. Oh like, yeah, yeah. There was plenty of folk cheering live, and it, things did pick up towards the end, but. For the entrances and stuff, it was pretty quiet. I was I was concerned that Love was actually going to get booed a lot more than she was, but no, there seemed to be quite a lot of no, still plenty of Live fans in the UK, which is I suppose it's a good thing, just not to the extent of you know people singing along with our theme song if it even has any lyrics, which I don't think it does. No, 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 it doesn't. But like the case of like she's kind of not got been getting the best receptions over in the US because mm-hmm. you know her, her they booked yeah. her and that SummerSlam finish and. Everybody now also kind of wants Shayna to you know, get her. So I was surprised that the match went the way that I'm glad that though that it didn't do they didn't do the same finish as done every time Shayna's had a big loss, yeah. which is some it's a curse to clutch into a pin because you think also at this point being as strained as she is, she would also figure a way out of that. But I did love the way that she almost went she almost did a full front road rotation when she got hit with the oblivion. Mm-hmm. So it looked a bit a lot more impactful and I found out later on, I think it was Sean Rossam who tweeted out a side-by-side, but apparently uh, Liv's gear was a tribute to the gear that Sensational Sherry won at SummerSlam 1992. Yeah, I saw that, actually. I, I, I didn't even clock that at all until it was mentioned. Yeah, so, like those little, little touches when people pull out that kind of gear but for... Speaking for, of ring gear, though, I mean, how about Seth Rollins' gear? You know, dre- I mean, I was saying to Stevie, like, what the fuck is he wearing? Because I... I I felt like I'd seen it before, but it just didn't. I couldn't put my finger on it until I actually looked on looked on Twitter, and it turns out it was a tribute to Elton John's attire in Rocket Man, where he had the, <laughs> the the fire and the glasses and the wings and stuff. It was, I mean, it was insane. Just with Seth Rollins coming out of that, but you know what he's like with his attires these days. He's always very colourful, very flamboyant. But I'm not really sure how Elton John sort of tied in with uh, with Wales in general. But in fact, I think it'd be better if he just came out as a dragon, which I thought that's what he did. You know, he was he had the fire on his tights, he had the horns, I think, and the wings sort of gave it a little bit away as well. But he, I legitimately thought it, he was just dressed as a dragon. <laughs> I mean, I think it's a case of, you know, somebody... 
like big in the UK who also dresses flamboyantly as Seth Rollins. I think that's where the yeah, possibly. I mean, you don't get more flamboyant than Elton John when it comes to attires. Like I love like you, as you wouldn't have heard the commentary being there live, but like it was Cole, Byron, and Corey who I thought made a good yeah. Good and Michael tonight. Cole got one of the loudest pops of the night as well. Like he was getting chanted even during his entrance, and I wasn't expecting that response for him. And whilst Corey and Byron were practically booed out the building. <laughs> And you know what else we chanted when they were taking their seats? Uh, we want Pat. <laughs> we want. Yeah. But no, the, the reaction for Michael Cole was was brilliant. The reason I mentioned Michael and that is because on commentary, I uh, can't remember the name of the ring that they mentioned, but they told this joke that she used to uh, work with. Samantha? Samantha, Samantha Urban. Yeah. They, they say that she used to work with Circus Soleil or whatever. And Michael Joe, I think, Seth stolen one of her outfits. <laughs> then Corey then replies, "I think he's that thing that's something out of the Rocket Man collection." Also, again referencing Elton John, and but there were interesting little references to things that you would expect. Like when Drew came out, Michael mm-hmm. Cole did some promotions in the UK he'd worked with, and he mentioned he probably I'm not in the group chat. He mentioned BCW and SWA as well. Yep, he did. Did he mention he mentioned Progress as well, didn't he? Yeah, I think you mentioned like some a uh, couple of Welsh promotions that like of Seamus and that would have worked with, and mm. uh, some promotions in Ireland when Finn was cut. I didn't pick up ICW though. Uh, I don't, weirdly enough, they don't mention the ones that they're actually already affiliated with. Yeah, so, I suppose because they've got all of ICW's events on the network. Yeah, I think, I think in the case of like mentioned some of these smaller companies, I think BCW is where Drew would have trained with. Cause, yeah, and so. I think it's a case of like the idea of like these small approaches where these guys started with, and it's a case of look where they were then, look now look where they are now. This big. Yeah. In fact, I've I've read his book, and I'm pretty sure it was BCW that he started out with when he was like 15 or 16 years old. Yeah, because we hear a lot of wrestlers talking about that period and like mid 2000s when they were training, like of him, Jester, will kind of talk about how those kind of two main classes. There was the BCW kind of guys, and then I think there was like SWA Source guys at first, mm-hmm. or obviously all the the, the newer train schools have opened up where like places like the asylum and that. Mm-hmm. But uh, going back to uh, the card, uh, was Rollins v Riddle. I'm not against Seth winning, especially not given that he did a he did a, a superb stomp off Brett's rope, the most dangerous of ropes. Just oh well. gosh, yeah, the, the stomp off the middle rope that was a hell of a finish. I I even shouted Jesus Christ at the top of my lungs uh, because I. I was worried that, you know, this is going to go badly wrong and, you know, Riddle's going to suffer another stinger or something. But I think the the, the best thing I could take away from that match is that just the, the crowd were just doing, were just singing along with Rollins' theme song the entire match, practically. I mean, there were some good spots, but I think it was more just the storytelling behind it. Like, is Riddle going to go off his nut after what happened on last week's Raw? Uh, but... You know what? They they delivered some really good spots. You know, Riddle was doing corkscrew sentons to the outside. He was doing the the broton from the top. He was doing very, very well. And I don't know if you saw this on the broadcast, but um, there was this, from where we were sitting, we could see this massive Riddle sign, and it was, like, lit in red lights and stuff. It was very, very distinctive, and it was just, like, one letter per sign. I think it was the most eye-catching sign of the entire night. Like, there was a huge sort of riddle section from where, if you look at the hard cam, it's the bottom right turnbuckle corner. That's where that's where it was facing. 
Uh, I think we mentioned, we talked a bit last week where they did the angle on Raw where he mentioned Riddle's wife and the kids and everything. And, mm. uh, turned the wins on, against us. Yes, on, on the, after the, the, the bro, yeah, the Broton, when he gets the knees up, they, they kind of get in close to the camera, can pick it up and you hear Seth saying, hey, Riddle, you're a loser. Your wife knew it. These people know it and your kids are going to know it. And that then set up the bit where Riddle kind of tried, attempted to use the chair, but eventually threw it against it, which then led to Seth's victory. So I think this whole thing was to set up Riddle, you know, losing the match because Seth got his head. And I think this is the one out of all six matches that's going to get like an actual rematch extreme of this time, like a stipulation. And yeah. Do you think it's why they say to do it? Because you were and I were talking about why they didn't add a stipulation to this one. So I think it's a case of they up the next pay-per-view. Yeah. That set this one up, you know. This is the one out of all that I think really needs a, a rematch. So I think it yeah. would be nice in Riddle's background to do like a steel cage at Extreme Rules, but I don't know if they're going to want to do that again. They just or did one. Even one better, one. take a page out of uh, Black and Gold NXT and bring back the Fight Pit. Hmm. Yeah, that would be that'd be interesting, but we'll see. Or maybe they'll just do like a regular Extreme Rules or False Game or something. Anything that Riddle can use a weapon just to batter. What so, I heard, apparently, I've heard some rumours that Triple H is planning to up the ante with Extreme Rules a little bit. You know, don't make it too PG friendly, you know, make it a little edgier, something a bit more, I mean, still within PG boundaries, but yeah, you can still deliver something that, you know, Black and Gold NXT would be a proud of in terms of no disqualification stipulations or extreme stipulations. Oh, well, yeah, because obviously Extreme Rules took the place of a one night stand. And that and the full switch over to Extreme Rules as it's as it is now being a pay per view month regularly uh, happened during the PG era, but they've still managed to like we talked about Extreme Rules 2011 in a, a, pre, a previous uh, feature show, and every just about every match was a different gimmick and everything, and they still managed to do that within the PG umbrella. But it just seems like the last few years they suddenly just went down to only one a year where we get Extreme for one match, mm-hmm. and it's just business as usual, which. Is so I'm hoping Triple H. When you say about Triple H, that means he's going back to the old model of what we talked about, like Extreme Rules 2011, where not every match has to be overly violent or everything or to mm-hmm. non people But the idea is, you know, at least everything has a gimmick. Everything that makes every match unique. It's not just a rematch of a match you've probably already seen. Yeah, yeah just add a, add another twist to it, but mm-hmm. be creative with the spots and tie in with the story, and that's all we're really looking for. Yeah, totally. Because I imagine Extreme Rules will also be where Bailey gets her shot against Bianca after mm. pinning her on. That's a no-brainer, yeah. Uh, so after obviously a big triple we get, team, we could get that long overdue I Quit match that was meant to happen at Money in the Bank last year. Is it an I Quit match like it was maybe Last Woman Standing? Was it not? No, no, no. It was meant to be I Quit. Well, there you go. Maybe, maybe it will be an I Quit match. Uh, I know I love the angle because they did the big triple team on Bianca and Bailey Pender at Clash of Castle. Then. Now that you've help. said it, Last Woman Standing actually makes more sense because, I mean, you could have Dakota and Io get involved and essentially pin her down the way the same the Usos did it to Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. Mm. Yeah, it would be interesting, also, with the, whatever situation they choose, especially with damage control now being in Bailey's corner. You know, mm. brand new, new Titan Tron, new entrance team and everything. So, you know, mm. they're the official team now. And it announced on the bump just tonight, actually, the time of recording, they are challenging Raquel and Aaliyah for the women's tag titles on Raw. Yeah, yeah they already I think they announced that on Raw the, this week as well. All right, did they? Oh, yeah. Because I was trying to say, like, uh, 
there was a confrontation where basically they announced that they were going to face get the titles. Dakota brought up the fact on Raw that she wasn't legal, and uh, Bianca tried to challenge Bailey, and she's like, "No, no, I'm not working today. It's Labor Day, so I'm, I'm taking the mm-hmm. night off." And so it basically said, like, you know, one way or another, looking at she looks at uh, and went one way or another. When I decide to take that title, I'm gonna get it. So definitely feels like this is happening sooner rather than later. And uh, I do love Bailey handling the the Bailey chance uh, on Twitter by going like, guys, it's not 2015 anymore. Move on. <laughs> no, we won't move on. We'll keep doing it because deep down she knows she loves us for it. Ah, oh, she doesn't. Uh, talking of like twists and everything in the wrestling. Dominic Mysterio kicked Edge in the ball so hard his shoe fell off. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't the only one that got his balls hurt that night. I mean, remember Priest took the bump on the barricade as well? So I suppose both sides left with sore bollocks in some capacity. Oh, I don't know if you've seen, like, right before that, Balor got sent over the barricade and there's a shot of somebody in that area of the crowd. And just behind Balor, his mum and dad. Yeah. His dad's, like, laughing as well. So, like, Ben Balor got thrown in the crowd right in front of his mom and dad. And just, mm. just like, he's dallying so like, Aye. you all right? Here we go. You having a good night? It's talking of funny reactions. Did you see Edge's reaction to Dominic after he literally about a second after he booted him? He's just sort of like face frozen, knees down, and he just turned to him with his, a slight twist of the head with a look on his face. Is like, you motherfucker. <laughs> and Ray's still not like giving out to him that much. As Dominic just stares him right and then just like bloody Eddie's real dad before him and Batista did to Ray when they betrayed him just mm-hmm. a massive close line to Ray betraying him his other shoe fell off so Dominic just buggered off with no Aye. shoes and and despite the fact Here's he your held, shoes shoes off if you hate Dominic shoes off <laughs> I thought it was going to be shoes off if you hate your dad <laughs> you're supposed to be my dad oh like it's weird because he helped them win. I think it was weirdly to prove a point like they needed Dominic to win, even though Ray didn't want to team with Dom in this match. So he betrays them after the match, after he helps them beat the Judgment Day. And then on Raw, it's revealed he's joined the Judgment Day. He's basically continuing this thing with Ray. He comes out in all black and everything. He doesn't speak, but he did grab his dad and prevent him from stopping them from taking out Edge during a beatdown. Mm-hmm. He then helped Damian Priest later on the night on Raw. He helped Damian Priest beat his dad. And then they, uh, Rhea basically keep, keeps referring to herself as Dominic's pappy and basically announced on his behalf that Dominic is challenging Edge to a match next week on Raw. Mm. Dom's clearly getting dominated in that uh, relationship with Rhea Ripley. I mean, who knows what kind of kind of stuff they do backstage. <laughs> steady on, Dave, steady on. I kid, I kid. Because like I said last week, they're both in their own respective happy relationships. But <laughs> you never know. They're... they're the imagination tends to wander, especially when with that kind of booking. But like, it was interesting what was uh, what's been happening on the the weekly TV, like especially on Raw. Because also last the other night we had the other night we had those the steel cage match between uh, Lashley and the Miz, which is well worth a watch. Like most of Raw last the other night was a, was a really good show. Uh, mm. You had that. You had the return of Braun Strowman. Hi. Yes. No mm. chance for that, by the way. Um. Like I said, I think his release last year was so unjustified. I'm so happy they've brought him back. Yeah. Also, no. The fight, well, you know what else has returned? Hmm. Uh, Champa's first name. He's now Tommaso Champa. See, that one I wasn't that much against because most people kind of call him Champa anyway. Whereas hmm. the other ones like Matt Riddle and Austin Dage is like, 
like it, it feels so unnatural just to say riddle or theory. Like mm. theory is not theory is a thing. Theory is a thing, uh, not it's an. A, it's a mathematical concept. Yeah. Like even oh, Kevin Owens took the piss out of it in a wee promo he had before he beat Austin, and that was, "Hey Theory, oh, oh, hey, that's right, I can call you Austin again." Yeah, again, fourth wall break. That it doesn't matter, it makes sense. Yeah, so like the Raw's looking good on, and now also the next week they have announced the the thing between Dominic and Edge, and then they're going to be another women's tag team title match where I assume uh, they'll get the, this time dam- uh, damage control will take the tag team titles. Yeah, uh, I'd be willing to put money on that. Yeah, but you know, I think the big developments going forward to what happens with Roman and the title is going to happen this Friday on SmackDown after. Solo to call me TV, which makes sense because mm. you know, the whole idea that Roman was on his own for the first time in ages, no, no Sammy, Usos couldn't come over. Uh, Paul Heyman's been off TV since he got FI'd at SummerSlam, so the case of who else is there? But then it's the idea like the bloodline is you know, just growing even bigger, like it's bigger than anybody can imagine. And then there's Solo to go. And even if you don't know him from NXT, the fact that if you really wanted Drew to win, then on that night, Solo just immediately establishes himself as a as a top peel, given that he's robbed you at that moment by pulling the referee out at the moment. Yeah, he he's now in like the top ten most hated people in the UK right now. And plus, Drew is the number one babyface on on SmackDown. You know, if he comes in and like in the first week or so gets a match with Drew, which you guys think, well, Drew's gonna want. Then again, he's basically coming right at the top, right up from NXT, which I think goes up. You know, it makes sense because he's got a you know his family there, so he's got a bit ready-made storyline. But I'm hopeful that. He's an example of like the version of call-ups that Triple H is now promising, like a more seamless transition from NXT to the main roster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like obviously Triple H, you know, he's been now bumped up to an even higher position now. I think he's like head of creative control or something along those lines. Chief, chief of creative control. I think he was. He, he oversees booking, talent, and live events all in the space of one go. Whereas Shawn Michaels is now senior vice president of talent relations. Yeah, so some of these abilities have been moved to somebody else, but now he's basically got the same role. He's still massively creative, but he's booking, he's in charge of a lot of other things as well under that same umbrella. And it even said that, you know, Iris, in this was the case, like he's basically just right under Nick Khan in terms of pecking or so. Like Stephanie and Nick Khan in the business end is co CEOs there, right? The tip top, and then just below them is Triple H, which was shown now just how much influence Triple H has gained in the last couple of months. Mm hmm. And that's the thing, you know, he was there in Cardiff as well doing the press conference afterwards, but he never took a moment to come out and address the crowd. You know, he just sort of let the show play out, let all the attention be on the competitors. And there wasn't there wasn't even any promos or anything. It was just straight up wrestling from start to finish. Obviously, you know, there was promotional material for Extreme yeah. Rules. There was a package highlighting Cody. There were some clips backstage or sort of recaps from SmackDown, etc. But nothing specifically in the ring as it was happening where somebody mm. cut a promo or there was like a uh, a crowd-popping segment. But, I mean, Solo Sokoa was definitely the shock of the night, for sure. Can you imagine if Braun Strowman actually came out at Clash at the Castle, ended up costing Roman, mm. like, and then that led to Drew winning? That And then he just goes, I'm not finished with you! It would that would have been a big, big, big way to send the crowd home happy. See, it's interesting because I don't think they've returned him to a particular brand. Because he came out, it was a four-way match. It was originally set to determine who would fight the Usos next for the tag titles, and they gave them actually quite a amount of time. So, so you're not thinking anything's going to happen. They had a finish where after a big sequence of moves, uh, 
Montez Ford's been caught on an ankle lock by Gable, so you think, oh, that's the match to the end. And then Bronze music hits, which the crowd thought mm. that they weren't expecting it. And then uh, later on, basically... The New, Day to, to, the New Day try to pit each other for the win as well. Like, how would that even work? I know. Also, I love that one, Jimmy... Uh, Gage clearly had enough of Jimmy Smith, because... Jimmy talks about oh, some unique rules in this style of match and then just stops assuming that Corey or Byron will talk about it. what mm. the rules are. And then Corey just blatantly says, I'm like, you're the, you're the play-by-play guy. Jimmy, you tell them the rules. I'm here to talk about how handsome those Lotharios are. I'm here to talk about how talented Chad Cable is. <laughs> I mean, I suppose, you know, Corey is like the play-by-play, the colour commentator, I suppose. So I suppose that is his job. But uh, I think Braun's actually going to be on SmackDown this week as well. So, hard to say, you know, where he, what his direction is going to be, but I really hope he does get a good showing because, you know, like I said, he was a victim of an of a unjust release, I think. Mm-hmm. So I hope they can bounce him back. And he's also in the same company as his real life partner at the minute, yeah. who's Raquel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's true. I think, like I said, he's not been brought back to specific brands, so it'll be interesting to see if he does interact with Roman again. Because he's it's because he's so good as a heel and it's good to see him get beat up. I want to see him either come out and you know bat or either Theory or Sammy. Just let him be a monster. It doesn't need to be face or heel. Like yeah. the crowd will respond accordingly. Yeah, and so I don't know what he's going to do. Maybe he'll get involved in the tales. And it'd be interesting to see if he, if he did because he was he was in a WTL feud right before he got released. So you don't know if that happened there. Yeah. People know, he's, people know he's already a main event star. Also, carrying Cross, flew all the way to the UK, he threw a bottle at Drew McIntyre and then mm-hmm. did fuck all else. Like they even I, panned back to where he was in the crowd to see if he was ah, still yeah. Speaking of Cross, me and Stevie were in uh, Bru- Cardiff, the Cardiff Brewdog for a pint uh, after we went to the Superstore. We actually saw Cross and Scarlet get out of an SUV and head into the hotel, which was just across the street. So that was our only superstar sighting, as it were. We didn't take, we didn't find anybody randomly on the street. Although Gary and Derek got very lucky because they had their they had their kids with them and stuff, along with a few of their friends, and they got to meet Seth Rollins and Gunther just randomly. It wasn't like a, a official meet and greet. They just saw them like in coffee shops and outside the hotel and stuff. You know, it's funny because like, it's easier if you see a, uh, about to see a wrestler and you've got a kid because you can use the kid as you're in to kind of... Yeah. Um, even if they're really tired, they're not going to want to really be a dick in front of a... Mm. Like you should, yeah, you should have seen the official Facebook group as well. Like There was a lot of people, you know... I mean, there was a, a quite a lot of complaints about Ticketmaster because I don't think people got their tickets until the day prior or the day of. But then again, I think that's just how things operate usually for them, because as long as you have your booking reference, you're fine. But definitely a lot of people who were basically dra- effectively draining their bank accounts just to make their kids happy. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And so, let's hope they're going that. It was like, is it, is it easy enough to get in in terms of like when they were, when people were failing in? Because, like you said, most people were already in their seats when the pre show was on. And, you know, the, we've had complaints and like when they've done major stadium shows in America where, like that one in Dallas where like they were struggling to let people in or get tickets processed, which led to like half empty fucking stadiums halfway through the mm. pre-show. Yeah, no, everything went smoothly though. I mean, ticket scanners worked, worked absolutely fine. Although they do charge a fortune for pints. 
<laughs> oh, should have should have asked Gary before the show. Like, was there vengeance being served at Principality? The good news was we did get at least uh, one or two beforehand, and um, yeah, I just had the one that night, and I didn't even need a bathroom break, so it worked out worked out well. Oh, as long as David Hockney's happy, everything's okay then. Apparently, <laughs> uh, Roman uh, is still the Universal Champion and everything. I don't think he's going to be at Extreme. I don't think they've announced anything, so maybe we'll do something with Drew and Cross to maybe set up some sort of more leadership thing or. Maybe even Braun will get involved with this in solo in some sort of six-man situation. Who knows? But, you know, I like not knowing at this kind of stage. So, well, looking at the other deal, I know a lot of people have been disappointed that Drew didn't win and everything, but and maybe there have been some people angry as they were coming out of the reader. But do you think, you know, kind of in the long term, when people look back at the show, do you think how they look back at the show will be hampered in any way by, any massively by Drew not winning the title? Um, it was certainly disappointing on the night, but I think if we just let the story unfold and see what happens afterwards, it will start to make sense. But I think the important thing to take away is this was the first major UK show in a stadium since 1992. I think more people were were pleased with the fact that we actually got a very, very good show in the UK in in an arena that size, and people were just happy to say... I was there at this big stadium show in 2022 and it reminded so many people of SummerSlam 92 and they were selling a lot of vintage merch to sort of remind them that this is how long it's been since they've done a show that massive in the UK. So I think it will be remembered fondly more just for the the spectacle and the and the grandeur rather than you know the wrestling itself. But that's not to say the matches were were very very good. It's weird because looking back on it, out of the four, out of the six matches on the main show, not including the pre-show, the ones on the main show, four out of the six matches were won by heels. Like Edge mm. and Ray and Liv Morgan were the only face victories on the night, and arguably those are the matches where the heels most likely should have won. Yeah, I. I, you know, in our regular sweeps, we te- I tend to go 50-50 with the face heel booking. But then again, you forget this is Triple H's WWE now, not Vince's WWE. So you can only go where the story takes you. But it didn't matter. Most people just wanted to see good quality wrestling, and I think they got that. So, yeah, that was Clash of the Castle. A lot of stuff very exciting happening in WWE right now. I, I know they also announced for next week's Raw, they haven't announced his opponent, but Johnny Gargano was going to wrestle mm-hmm. for the first nine months on Raw. Yeah, I hope he gets like a decent one. I think jumping into the theory feud would be too quick. Mm. Uh, I mean, still cut promos with him and stuff, but save that clash for like a pay-per-view. Yeah. yeah I totally agree. I think that's definitely a thing to be said for, for Extreme Rules. And so, obviously, then we, we'll keep on in terms of when they happen. So, we'll go on to World Collide next which also only had uh, six matches. So very no concise. No, I think uh, the best thing I can say about this show is, you know, a real takeover vibe to this show. You know, opening with the hype, you know, fast-paced ricochet versus uh, Carmelo Hayes match. Uh, women's tie titles was far later on the show than I thought it would be to that. Uh, I think you needed a bit of a cool-down match before you go into the into the main event. But yeah, 
Carmelo and Ricochet, what a way to open. Like, both jumping from doing springboard crossbodies from the other side of the rip from opposite ends of the ring, and they actually meet in the middle for the crossbody. Like, that was a hell of a spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the hot opening had Carmelo putting up, like, the jerseys of all the guys he's retained the title over, and he's across his two reigns. And then you put Ricochet's up ahead of, like, the match. But then they show it after the match, so maybe we should have waited before Ricochet's came down until after he'd already beat him. Mm. So you had that, you had the four-way, after the, you know, the tag tails, which, thanks to a Damon Kemp heel turn, uh, the Diamond Mind lost uh, to Pretty Deadly, uh, which I think they're now setting up a rematch next week on NXT. Uh, Gallus, so- Bru- Gallus and Brooks and Jensen, uh, sorry, Brooks and Briggs, uh, just went mentally each other as well. I think that caused a bit of a distraction on the outside. Because uh, Jensen, Brooks Jensen is maybe the son of Bill Buchanan, but looking at him with his jeans, his crap mullet, and his you know prepubescent mustache, he was trying to go. He looked more like uh, Billy Gunn during the bloody smoking guns era of his career. Jeez, oh. I even had a famouser during the match as well, which helped oh further. yes, we did. So, that, so they were the first out. Uh, and like I said, uh, like I said, Damon Kemp turned heel, you know, the younger brother, and clearly much better than Gable Stevenson because uh, he seemed like there's now doubts about his training because it's not going very well. So there's doubts if he will even actually have a professional match. So Damon Kemp turned heel after it was revealed. Also, he's a, he was the one that attacked Roderick Strong in the parking lot earlier in the day. Yeah, he's effectively a prick now. Mm-hmm. Andy Rose in our All American gear, which caused way about it to almost explode at commentary <laughs> by the women's titles. Uh, like I said, yeah. we also had And Vic was scolding Barrett as well for not supporting Blair Davenport, who was the the sole UK representative in this match. I mean then, hey, then, we, we get the vibe, right? You know, it's you know you you mean people assume you want to be cheering for the person that represents your country, but no, you cheer for whoever you damn, damn well want to cheer. And plus, uh, and plus uh, way back, turned around and was, yeah, she may have lived, may live in the UK, but she was born in New Zealand, so that's why he technically... That was ah, his, good point. And like, oh, why are you tuning people from the UK? Like, well, one of them wasn't born in the UK, and the other person is Japanese, so she's not from the UK, even though she's the champion of the UK brand. Yeah, it was so, like a, a full-on nations collide here. You got UK versus US versus Japan. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, you know, America wins, lol. America wins lol, yeah. So Mandy won, I think, the idea, like, she was talking about getting respect, and then Trina Baszler said to her on an NXT, like, a lot of the stuff you said, you've been saying across the 200-odd-day reign that you've had will mean little if you can't win this match. So, again, in a way, when you look back on it, they kind of set up for Mandy to win and have the bragging rights of, of this victory. But, you know, you've always got Miko or Alba Fire, somebody who, from the UK to at some point in this now, you know, massive reign. I think she's actually about to surpass Shayna's, like, a second reign. I think Shayna's second reign was our longest one. I think Manny's pretty close to surpassing it, which would make her the... She's not far off, yeah. This would make Mandy the third longest reigning women's champion of the NXT brand. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't entirely fond of Mandy Rose, you know, winning the women's title because I was never really sold on her as a competitor. But after that match... I've got a. I can say I respect her as a competitor now because, you know, she's worked hard, you know, to sort of build herself back up instead of just being the, 
the pretty face next to the, the trained MMA fighter in Sonya Deville as part of Fire and Desire. But she's mm-hmm. effectively, you know, led her own faction. She's got better in the ring considerably. And she's had a very, very lengthy title reign and unified both NXT women's titles. And also getting a win over Miko Satamura as well, one of the most decorated female competitors in the world. That really is saying something about how much stock they put in Mandy Rose. So, yeah, I'm... Uh, I am. Um, I can say I'm a. I'm a fan of Mandy now. Just one uh, over. I really think she benefited from this return to eighteen, especially like the the change and like when they changed her having dark hair when she became a heel, needing toxic attraction. I think it's the best thing for her. I think it proves that she should have probably stayed in NXT. Uh, her holiday photo as well. She posted she was on vacation this week. The two belts, yeah. yeah don't 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 show it to Ross. He'll just about rip his cock off. For fuck's sake. <laughs> Like, I think it's the case again, you know, she's playing maybe a bit of tribute to Shawn Michaels, who we know is heavily involved in, uh, in NXT. Shawn did a very similar thing with the WF title back in the back in the 90s. But looking at her reign, I think that this proves when she shouldn't have been called up when she was back in 2017. If she'd stayed in NXT a couple more years, she could have had this kind of run much sooner, you know, when she was full-time with NXT and... You know, we didn't talk to the attraction. It was it's been good because you know the closest thing you're ironically to a, a female stable, a dominant one in the women's division. I think it was when Shayna had her thing with the other MMA four horsemen, but mm. the issue with that group was that the other like Shafir and Duke didn't really adapt to wrestling the same way Baszler did. So mm. now you've got well, three. Yeah. Well, they they introduced the women's titles, which the other two could hold, made them look like a dominant group. And mm. I do think they do need. As big as this victory is, they do need to find someone to take the belt soon because I do feel that there are some people who are getting sick of Mandy as champion. I've even heard people compare her the way she's being booted as a, a female reign of terror, i.e. Triple H. Oh, God. I hope that's not the case because mm. I think at least give her a year-long reign and then just see what happens next. Because, I mean, she even went through the transition of, you know, taking the old or the older version of the NXT Women's title and transition to the white-strapped one as yeah. well, the one that was multicolored. But Toxic Attraction, I think I've taken a bit of a dip as of late, you know, because Gigi's been out with a concussion and they've lost to Nikki and Dewdrop this week as well. Which, I don't know if you clocked this on Raw when uh, Damage Control were making the right way to the ring backstage, but some eagle-eyed viewers spotted that Nikki actually took her mask off and her cape as well and just threw them at Dewdrop and then just walked away. So I don't know if they're teasing a split between those two, which kind of makes what happened yeah. on NXT a little bit ass backwards if you're looking at if you're watching it chronologically. Who who really knows that? I'm asked because like maybe they're going to give it one more chance in NXT, get back the titles, and then they'll do the official kind of breakup. Because mm. you know it's weird because lost at Worlds Collide, then lost to Ali and uh, Raquel on Raw, and then got a win on NXT. So it, it's weird to think what they're what they're doing with these these two, but. Uh, you know, I knew they were, they were never going to win at, at Worlds Collide. Mm-hmm. Also, I love the new rose go back to her. I love that her running knee finisher is now called Kiss from a Rose. Mm-hmm. It's effectively a last shot, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Like, oh, just a sh- or or a shining wizard if we have to be technical about it. But the, the way she delivered it to both of them at the end, I think that was a definitive finish. You know, it means uh, she just has to pin one of them and Miko was just uh, incapacitated on the outside from it. But that was such a good, good finish. 
getting both of them with the same shot. Yeah. So it was interesting because I think they're gonna like I was like I said to you, I was convinced that the attraction were getting called up and I don't think it'll be much longer until they she loses that deal and they are all called mm-hmm. up. But who knows when that's gonna be I have heard that uh the next takeover ish style event is gonna be in October and this time it's gonna be Halloween Havoc. They're not gonna do Halloween Havoc as a TV special this year, they're gonna do it as an actual premium live event if you want to call it that. Okay. So and that'll be well if World's Collide was just there, so that means they've got what, seven weeks before Halloween Havoc? Yeah, if they do it right towards the end of, of the month, yeah. which you'd, you'd imagine they'd do as close to Halloween as possible. So the closest day to Halloween is, the if it's a Saturday show, it'll be the 29th of September or of October, or if it's a Sunday show, it'll be the 30th. So I think there's two possibilities there. You can do uh, Miko again, or you could try, well, there's Roxanne Perez, there's Alba Fire, I think. Nikita Lyons was in line for a shot before she got an injury, so mm. not a few people still left. They haven't like done that thing where you have sometimes they're guilty of when you have somebody hold a take over nearly a year where you basically get to the point you've beaten everybody who was full and let, then you, you run out your Kay- let Kaylee Ray slash Alba Fire have a go at it. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if before her it was either Roxanne or Miko getting another title shot because they two had a, a really good match this week on NXT. Mm-hmm. So, but I want to talk about the main event of World's Collide and it might be weird when you hear me say this but let me explain it I think I was more annoyed about the the result of this match, the main event of World's Collide than I was about Drew not winning the title at Clash at the Castle Really? Yeah, because like, I've heard an argument which I kind of agree with in that we've kind of started liking Roman as a heel because mm. of the way but he's been bit the way we want him to but now you've got some genuine heat on him because he was being properly booed for the first time in a long time because he's beaten and now people are going to wonder who's going to beat him now and he's going to have that heat and carry it with him. But here, I think, okay, I was fine with the other times where, like, technically you can say that Barry Dyler represent both brands so and they can hold that over the the, the creeds that they beat them again mm. and all the titles and they're, they're very good at being annoying heels. Uh, Mandy, again, she can hold that over everybody but with Braun versus Tyler, I think, given you know, let's say you no, know, like the idea of well, the brand begins and ends with with Tyler, the UK title begins and ends with him. I think giving him a, the title for a little while before NXT Europe becomes a thing, and then you can have him drop it to I don't know anybody, any of the heels you've got, you're building up on NXT right now, and Jordan like, Devlin, yeah, or, or like, and then you can call up Braun because Braun looks lots up, acts like a main roster guy, and he has done for a long time, mm. but. Even though they say he's saying, oh, Brad, oh he'll, he'll be the last person, the last champion. Well, technically, he isn't. Technically, Braun Breaker is the last NXT UK champion. Yeah. Which is the equivalent of Ezekiel Jackson being the last ever ECW champion. It doesn't fit. I wasn't happy. I mean, it was a hell of a finish, but like, I'm I'm actually kind of getting sick of Braun Breaker, if I'm honest with you. He was a guy I, I gravitated towards early on in NXT 2, but like, I, I thought he was funny. Then he got better as the year went on when Jeffy's in ring stuff, but. They talked about everybody, the two guys winning percentages and Braun, Braun Breaker's at like 87% win percentage and I really think he's in danger of being the next insert name here, wins, law, like they probably keep pushing him this way when he goes up to the main roster. I think he's in danger of becoming the next like face Roman Reigns, like I think fans are going to get sick of him very early on. I'm kind of, I kind of want to see him get beat now, I'm kind of done with him with that title. There was a point, I think it was raised on commentary and I think Champa brought it up as well is that during his time with 
in his feud with Dolph Ziggler, you know, he recognized that, you know, there was a little bit of immaturity on his part and a little bit of a learning curve. Uh, and I think Barrett said it on commentary as well. He needs a, I think he just needs to mature a little bit. But I think you could relate that to, you know, him still being just 24 years old. Maybe if they tied that into a storyline, you know, if he ends up dropping the, the title to Jordan Devlin or something, and then he does get that call up to the main roster, or if he stays on NXT a while longer, play, have the immaturity play in a little bit. Uh, and just make him make him a bit more reckless. Somebody that, you know, act now and be damned with the consequences and that ends up doing more damage than good. And then as soon as that learning curve comes around, then people will start to get back on his side and relate to it a little bit better. And then maybe he'd get the, the call up to Raw and he'd just continue that character going forward. Yeah, maybe. I don't know who they're going to have to take it off him. I think there's an obvious one to me. I think it's been obvious for a long time. It's Carmelo Hayes. Mm. I think yeah, he, Carmelo is massively over right now. Yeah, and I think they're announced that next week's apparently the one-year anniversary of NXT 2.0, and they're doing these fan- Has it been a year already? Yep. So they're ah. doing fan votes where it's going to be the fans will vote for the biggest, like who do you think the biggest superstar of the last year, like the NXT 2.0 first year. Oh, broadly. They're going to vote for the the stipulation between the pretty deadly Creed's title match and apparently there's going to be a fan vote to choose who faces Carmel Hayes for the North American title mm. so I think it's going to go one of two ways like either he'll like either way I think so I think he'll you he might retain or maybe he'll moan that like you know he's going to be angry that he's he's, he's not used to being with that uh, title so then he'll move on to the NXT title but I think you can easily set up a feud between him and Braun by like whether or not he's still got the North American title because if he still has it, it could be another cool you no know, title for title situation. But uh, I think it'd be nice if he just had him carry on his own, and let someone else be North American champion. But I think it should be a case of you know Braun wins, like you said, Braun wins the you know biggest star, and then Carmel confronts him about it, saying no, it should be me. Like mm-hmm. you were losing the guys like Dolph Ziggler and everything. Like I may have briefly lost North American title, but for most of the past year. I've been a champion. I've been a champion for more days combined than you. And the idea of like I don't miss, like you've missed, like you've lost to guys like Champa and you've missed. Carmelo doesn't miss everything. So basically, the idea like the idea that Bronze in a position that Carmelo thinks he should already be in. Like I've been calling myself the A champion, not saying prove it by getting the title in NXT. Mm. Practically writes itself, if I'm honest. <laughs> Uh, yeah, definitely a lot to try and keep track of there. But the crowd was firmly behind Tyler Bate as well. You know, Mr. Big Strong Boy. And there was definitely a fair bit of booing towards Braun Breaker. So, yeah. but there was still a good bit of applause afterwards. I think they just appreciated, the, you know, they actually got a decent match, even though it was only 17 minutes long. So not not as long compared to most of the matches on Clash at the Castle. But they still got a very good uh, clash out of it. Yeah, I mean, there were, he does these weird like woof, uh, like dog noises because I'll say his dad was the dog face grandma and everything. That's his opening promo on uh, on XD. Even though the crowd, there's a good response for Braun when he comes out. When he first says Braun Breaker, there's a notable boo in the in the NXT arena on mm-hmm. NXT week. So, and then the two of them teamed up to fight Gallus. So, hell, who knows? Maybe maybe at Halloween Havoc will be Joe Coffey versus Braun Breaker. I mean. Joe Coffey still to win a title in WWE. And in fact, the most successful member of Gallus at the minute is Mark, because he's a former, he's 
former NXT UK tag champion, and he's the last ever Heritage Cup winner. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting, who actually want to see in the title scene as soon as he's healthy enough, because he is he's still you know on WWE's you know, active roster page from you know out of everybody in NXT UK, because I know he had to give it the belt to Andrew, but as soon as he's healthy enough, I want to see Ilya Dragunov come up to NXT main and like mm-hmm. challenge whoever's got the title. Maybe whoever, when he comes back from injury, that's certainly a possibility. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely... Or he, just, he could just go straight to NXT Europe. Maybe. I definitely think he's... They could pick up from where they left off with like him being maybe the first champion of NXT Europe because he was, you know... He was... Had he not got injured, I think he definitely would have been in Tyler's position mm-hmm. for the for that big match at Worlds Killing. Yeah. So I think the NXT audience are a bit more familiar because I know the, there was a world's collide against it with him and Balor where the crowd were just silent. They didn't really know who he was. But like in front of that kind of full sale crowd, he had that match with Walter take over 36. So I think if he came out now, the crowd would be you know, more receptive to him. Uh, possibly, yeah. Just depends what the booking is going forward towards Halloween Havoc. Yeah. I uh, wonder if they'll bring back spin the wheel to make a deal because uh, <laughs> Can yeah, why that? not? <laughs> uh, uh, table ladders and scares match again. <laughs> so now we need to move on to all out. We're not going to talk about every match because, for fuck's sake, there was fifteen of the bastards. That's more than Clash of the Castle and World Collide combined. Yep. But let's let's talk about CM Punk, shall we? <sighs> oh, dear. oh dear! Oh dear! And long tights with the, the Chicago colour and everything. They both bled, at least Punk did. Uh, Punk more so, you know, because it's John Moxley match and there must be blood. Mm-hmm. John Moxley's favourite movie is clearly the Daniel Day Lewis film, There Will Be Blood. <laughs> but yeah. Does, I mean, he owe, does he owe me dealing blood money? Well, he did used to work for WWE who do the Saudi shows. Yeah, good point. Uh, so, you know, match had some memorable moments and everything. There was the spot where Punk kind of falls down after hitting the go to sleep, but then Moxley kind of falls in a position where Punk can then hit a second go to sleep, which made for a, a solid finish. They worked over the lead, they brought that back into play and everything. So, you know, there was an element of unpredictability, but you could tell there were more fans in favour of Punk. Mm. And they were, in, they were in Chicago, so. And Moxley right, played into it, you know, he gave the finger to the crowd and. I know Wheeler Utah, they did on that recent road to Wheeler Utah talked about how he's going to defend the rank the pure title this week in Buffalo, which is the hometown of Daniel Garcia, and he's fighting Daniel Garcia. And mm-hmm. Wheeler, you're basically like, you know, we, because it shows that the Blackpool Comic Club aren't your typical faces. Like, we don't care for an unfamiliar territory. We don't care what anyone thinks of us. We don't care for booed or cheered. So that's the kind of mantra those guys go by. So Punk wins, there's a big response, and then the so do I want to talk about the reveal at the end and then go to the media scrum or what order do I want to do things? I don't know. Let's save the juicy gossip from the media scrum for last. Okay, okay. So then the lights went out because earlier on in the show we had the casino limits, which was an okay as far as limits were concerned, but you can clearly tell they wanted some sort of no more continuous thing so they could set up this mystery person mm-hmm. out because, you know, out came, uh, well, everybody was in the ring, Dante Martin, the Bustuccia Brothers, Got to do their, their big spots. Claudio got to show how strong he was by flipping over two liars while Andrade was still on it. And, you know, everyone got their little moments. But then a bunch of masked guys came out, which were revealed to be Sotley Hathaway, who took down the chip 
along with the guys who's recently been recruiting, like the Gun Club, W. Morrissey, Lee Moriarty, and Ethan Page. So I thought one of them was going to be revealed as the guy, like maybe Ethan Page was the, the Joker. But then the song Sympathy for the Devil uh, started playing. So Big Tony's been getting shit because he's been paying for some more licensed songs. And a man in a kind of a devilish like mask comes out. He gets handed the, the chip. The bell rings. And I do love the confusing way that Nicholas Roberts gets on the mic and goes, Ladies and gentlemen, your winner, the Joker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I was like, I was like waiting the whole time because like, he let the music play for a little bit before he walks out, and I was going, I was convinced like this is someone new who's into this song or whatever. And then the big like graphic and the state and drum would flash up, and they'd be like, oh, it's so and so. But no, like they leave you guessing the entire. Oh, I by, the way, by the way, in our sweeps, I did say the Joker would win. Did I get points for that? No, you get points if it's the Joker is the person that you say is the Joker. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yes. I thought, it was, I thought I was in two-point bets. I thought you say who's winning and then who's the Joker. No, you say it's the Joker. You say who yeah, the Joker, Joker wins. Yeah. And then you, then you say who, and you say that specific person is going to win. So if that person is in the match and then they win, you get a point. But if you, that person appears in the match but then doesn't go on to win, you only get the point for them being the Joker. Oh, for God's sake. Rules are there for a reason. Some people did say that the Joker was a person that it would ended up being so... You know, I, didn't that, get I think that shaft me out of a sweep win there because all, all in all, you know, I, I just went with my gut instinct on a lot of them and I actually did pretty well along with a couple other guys. So I hope people did actually get up. I'd have to, as the sweep guy, wait till the end of the night to do that. So then I had to go, oh God, who had him? Mm-hmm. I can look over everybody's fucking, everybody's picks if there were a lot of them. Uh, but yeah, so uh, let me ask you, uh, David, when you walk, sat down and watched this, and like they wait, you wait. I legit thought up until the lights went out, they were going to make us wait until dynamite to reveal it. Mm-hmm. But to have been injured to move. But did you have an idea for you? Did you think it was still going to be the person you'd put down, or did you think it was going to be who it ended up being? Yeah, I actually put Lance Archer because correct me if I'm wrong, but the he was competing in the G1 climax and that recently just came to an end. So I'm thinking, you know, he'd been he'd vanished for some time. I uh, thought it would make sense, you know, if he came back swinging, you know, with a with a title match lined up for him. I thought MGF was too big of a a gamble, given that you know it was it was hard to say what his status was at that stage. And although I did see a Twitter rumor that Adam Cole had been cleared to compete, so I thought it might have been him as well. But they might just play it safe and wait for him to bring him back on Dynamite. So that's kind of I. So by default, I just sort of went with Lance Archer just as a relatively safe bet and not one that's too outrageous. I, mean, I think people could tell when the guy came out that he was also too short to be Lance Archer. And I know a lot of people, there were some people at first thought maybe Morrissey would be set up as a Joker, but like then I don't think they would have done that angle on Dynamite if it was going to be him because you don't want to then you know, reduce the potential pop of him coming out of the pay-per-view if it was him. So, like, they looked like quite... It was overshadowed by what happened after the show. Yeah, which is why I, I don't believe it's a a lot of people saying like it's a typical what is this a work, is it not? Or like like if it's a work then you've purposefully like done that to overshadow this big return that you've had. And if it but then again, if it not if it isn't a work, which I I believe it isn't, then like basically either way of the whole stuff of the museum, whether it's a work or not doesn't make the company look good in either regard. So I don't yeah. think it even matters what, what side it is. But I don't, I think Moxley has been hurt as well as the guy who returned because not only has the guy's return been overshadowed when it should be a big deal, but Moxley 
Yeah, everything he did as an earned champion, then he got to beat Bunt and become undisputed, and officially the first ever two-time champion. Only then be set up to lose to Punk. He then has to roll out the ring, disappear. He wasn't even on the, the media screen. I think he pretty much left. Pretty much. So I think Hangman didn't get involved in any, anything that happened in the whole scandal as in the backstage scuffle because apparently Hangman was told he wasn't needed for the media scrum, so he had already left the building. Mm. Yeah, I mean, when I started reading about the post-media scrum and Punk is just laying waste to pr- primarily Colt Cabana and then taking aim at Kenny and the Bucks, uh, and also Hangman, as you said. Mm. I'm thinking, oh my god, it's another pipe bomb almost, but it's this is it cranked up to eleven a little bit. Yeah, and you know, seeing the the rumors that came out of it and stuff, you know, there was a fight backstage afterwards. It really, really does not paint the company, Tony Khan, and especially CM Punk in a very good light, mm-hmm. especially when he was saying a year ago. A year ago, almost a year ago, when he returned, that he wanted to work with the work with these young talents, you know, give them a bit more exposure. And now he's saying, like, he doesn't want to do it, you know, because they're they're entitled, empty-headed, and it's yeah, let's, it's, it's such a it's such a U-turn. Let's talk about a year ago, by the way, because this happened on the fourth of September. So almost a year ago to the day that they had it last year, because it was September 5th last year that they held all out. And that show you had Punk's first match in seven years. You had Adam Cole and Brian debut. You had a bunch of other things happen. There was, everybody was raving about the, the steel cage match between the Bucks and Lucha Bros. It felt like AEW had really turned a corner and he started as the alternative and potentially be the number one promotion in the world and everything. WWE was in shambles, despite the fact that crowds were back. A lot of people weren't that impressed by SummerSlam. Uh, Brock had just came back so the idea of Brock Roman again wasn't appealing to a lot of people NXT 2.0 was starring which filled a lot of people with dread I'm sure you were one of them and like so basically the views on one company couldn't be any lower and the views on the other couldn't be any higher and now like a year almost a year to the day the idea is fucking flipped on its head WWE is producing some of the best weekly content they've ever done Triple H is involved Vince McMahon is finally out of the picture and people are really interested in seeing what WWE does next, whereas EW feels like it's falling apart at the fucking scenes here. Tony Khan, during that entire media show, especially during the punk thing, didn't come off as a fucking boss. At, say what you will about Vince Man, because Vince Man has done a lot of terrible things, but you see him, he looks like a figure of authority, and you fucking pay attention when he says something, whereas he was sharply, you know, getting cut off by punk. He was sheepishly asking for one of the drinks that he had next to him, like, are you going to ask permission to fucking speak from Punk next, Tony? Like, be a fucking boss here, man. Mm. And look, he looked like he was fucking terrified to be sitting there during that media scrum. And the whole thing was a fucking shambles. And I'm going to talk about it more in a second, but it's just, again, they say what a difference a year makes, and this is a prime example of that. Definitely. And, you know, it's effectively the whole locker rooms just went to shit as a result of those comments, especially, you know, when it's just so different from what last year was like. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a full-on turn of the tide, I reckon, because I think more people, well, obviously with Triple H control and WWE now, more eyes are going to be on that product now, and people are actually pleased because of the changes that WWE's been, that's happening there, and people have been literally begging for it for so long that it's finally happening, and now they're more invested in it. And now... 
as a result, I don't know if AEW just feels threatened or not as a result, because, this, you know, Tony Khan was being quite vocal about contract tampering and stuff like that lately. But Punk is effectively, you know, just the, the biggest shit in the punch bowl here. And it's just, and it's, he's pissed everybody off as a result. Yeah, but let's talk about the reveal. Then lights go out. The big cheer to let everybody thinks lights go out. That means something big is going to happen. Then a voicemail plays from Tony Khan, basically asking somebody to don't them about their prolonged absence, which immediately makes you think it's MJF. Mm. He said, the paper, please be in the ladder match. I'll pay you. They bleep out the amount of money until you don't need to send an extension. Then they then they play the clip from Punk's promo, which which uh, MJF referenced to him during the feud. The you stupid and the I'm a snake. There's way straight the devil replied was making you think he didn't exist. And then the, the Joker puts it's still in his mask, puts a scarf on, which is MJF's still scarf, and says, I am the devil. And then he comes out, takes the mask off, reveals it's MJF, who gets a much bigger reaction in Chicago than you'd expect. And kind of <laughs> just he kind of just does the motion, I'm gonna take that to you, which I'm assuming in two weeks' time, they're doing the Dynamite Grand Slam at Arthur Ashe, which I'm assuming that's where the match is going to take place. But honestly, I don't know if you're a thing, but I've seen a few people saying that. But I thought they were going to turn the whole casino like chip thing on its head and have them legit attack Punk along with his faction and do like a, an AEW call and vacation at that moment, which would have been a hell of a way to end the show. I mean, it's certainly one way to do it because apparently Punk was injured coming out of that match. Apparently, he's got a tricep injury after doing a dive to the outside. He's, he's fucking made a glass at this point, isn't he? Yeah. Like, if anything, that just makes things even more complicated because, I mean, if he doesn't get suspended or, God forbid, sacked from following the media scrum, it's, uh, you probably have to relinquish the title anyway. If, it, if this situation in AEW was any more complicated, Avril Levine would do a song about it. <laughs> oh, nice segue. Thank you. Let's just talk about the media scrum here because I referenced some of it in my, my intro earlier on. But like some of the stuff he's said, like he, I think he, he wants to get because also all the rumors about tension and starting the coming after the stuff with Cabana and everything. And so Punk's also sick of hearing about it, and he addresses and then he addresses the uh, time stuff. But then he keeps then going on about it and keeps then cutting back in and saying more stuff even when he's not asked about it. And then starts asking this reporter who's asking question, "Are you friends with with Scott Colton?" Which is which is uh, Colt Cabana's real name, but like, here's just, it's a long one, so I'm going to try and keep it as brief as possible, but he basically says to him, he says, like, I haven't had anything to do with Scott going almost a decade, and probably didn't want to do anything to do with him for even longer than that. It's fucking unfortunate that I had to come up here and speak as I'm a grown-ass adult man, and say, and I decided not to be friends, so it's no one's fucking business. My friends, I, if I fall backwards, will catch me. And Scott Colton, I felt like, would never do that. I wanted... My problem was I wanted to bring a guy to the top who, who didn't want to see who didn't want to see me at the top. You call it Chelsea, you call it M, call you F, but you want my relationship to call. And long before I paid all of his bills, I have every receipt, every invoice, I have every email. I agree to go our separate ways. I got my own lawyer. You don't have to pay anymore. That email I have, the only reason Polly didn't see is because I I had to finally counter assume we discovered he shared a bank account with his mother. And that's the fact. That as soon as we discovered that, he said, you know, can we drop this? Right, it's 2022. I haven't been friends with guys since 2014, 20, late, late 2013. The fact that we have irresponsible people who call themselves EUPs and couldn't manage a fucking target, and they spread lies and bullshit to the media when I got somebody fired, and I have fuck all to do with him. I want nothing to do with him. I don't care where he works, sleeps, or anything else. Well, it's fucking embarrassing I have to mention this. Why, what did I ever do? I deserve an empty-headed fucking dumb fuck. 
like Hangman Adam Page, who on national television, fucking going to business for himself. I didn't do a goddamn thing. What? Hang on, no, Punk went into business for himself during that weird no. trouble. No, he claims that Hangman said something during the bleed-up to their match, which annoyed him, which I think was a reference to. Like, the closest thing I can find is he says, like, well, you've seen, like, you don't really care about workers' rights as much as you say you do. Uh, something like that. But, like, I look, even even at that, like, that's a stretch, even, because I looked at his promo and, like, legit, I said to Ross when we talked about it, like, it's not even the worst thing that's been said about Punk in a promo this year. This is a man who feuded with MJF this year. Like, mm. not even the worst thing anyone's ever said to Punk. But then he does that thing with the promo. And then he even says, that's not in that quote here, but he says, like, I'm angry that I had to stoop, stoop to his fucking level. Like, it wasn't his level. He clearly said something. You've took the piss about it, and you couldn't confront him about it. You expected him to apologize to you, and you've just fucking taken the health with it. And then he's called it the fucking EVPs and, and everything like that. And then he's asked about MJF, and... Uh, he joking. He says he acts like he's joking, but you can tell he's being serious. He was like, "Oh, this guy just want Tony just wants me to work with fucking pricks." And then says, but mentions that some of the young guys like don't feel like they need to listen to veterans and think they know everything. And then he said, he also says, "I'm tired and I work with fucking children." All the while he's stuffing some pastries into his fucking face. <laughs> he's just casually eating a muffin as it goes. <laughs> yeah, like, ugh. fuck off. Just, just uh, fuck uh, uh. off. Yeah. If anything, I think this just proves that Phil Brooks is a bit of a bailend. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? I think most of us could have tell, could have known that before, <laughs> before that, and before all he joined AEW. And like, the fact this then led to a physical altercation between him and A Steel, the Bucks. There's conflicting stories like either they came up to him, like kicking his door in, or mm. they went up to them, or if something happened between them and everything, like. Ace Steel tried to bite one of the bucks. Like, that's what fucking children do, Ace. Like, you don't Luis Suarez. I'm sick of hearing about Ace fucking Steel, by the way. I hadn't heard, the only thing I'd ever heard about him before this last couple of weeks was that when WWE parried Donald Trump and Rosie O'Donnell on an episode of Raw, he was the guy they got in to play Trump. And uh, and he fucking trained CM Punk. Those are the other things I knew about Ace Steel. I'm sick of hearing about Ace Steel. And now apparently the bucks, Kenny. Some of the guys who try to break up, like Pat Buck and uh, Christopher Daniels, Michael Nakazawa and everything, have all been suspended. They haven't confirmed what's happening with Ace. They said that Ace may not appear again or be welcomed back, and Punk's status hasn't really been uh, conf- really confirmed or anything. But, you know, Sports Illustrated was one of the places we're reporting us, and, like, Sports Illustrated don't always talk about wrestling, but I think they are still a notable, like, you know, publication. So when they're talking about it, then it's clearly gone out of hand. Yeah, I think just for the comments alone, Punk needs to get a suspension. Yeah, I mean, and people brought up the fact that uh, Eddie Kingston took a swing at Sammy Guevara because of a miscommunication over a promo. Yeah. And he got two weeks suspension, so it's a case of, like, people have been suspended for less than what Punk did, but Mm. Punk has done worse than what Eddie did. Well, I think, obviously, I think it's, um, I think there's a bit of a a legal aspect to it now. This wasn't just, like, a a backstage scuffle that got out of hand. You know, this was like, this was practically a, this could be argued it was an assault or grievous bodily harm to an extent, you know, with the biting incident and stuff. There is threatening, abusive behavior. You know, the bucks are probably suspended from that, you know, with kicking, well, allegedly kicking down the door and stuff. There was a bit of a a melee going on, but a, a good chunk of them have been, 
have received suspensions, as you said. Even a few others like Christopher Daniels and Michael Nakazawa as well. Probably just for not keeping their talent under control. Uh, it's really, and now, now I've got this tweet from Meltzer, which by the time Dynamite happens, everything that you hear here, you probably have watched Dynamite by the time you hear this, but it's everything. most of the stuff we say will probably be out of date, but Meltzer has said here, Punk's injury believed from to be from the top rope. Uh, now, Punk's injury believed to be believed to be from the top is serious. Rumours from Sunday, but he hasn't confirmed them, but it has been confirmed to me that no matter what happens discipline-wise, which means they haven't determined what's going to happen with Punk after the altercation, this, what, no matter what happens discipline-wise, the title situation has to be changed and addressed tonight. Mm-hmm. So, also, MJF, I know a lot of it's his character, but he does sometimes cross line. People do call him out for it, but MJF is one of the more, is looking like one of the more mature people in a situation. You know that shit's gone out of hand. You know he's going to be on the show tonight. He's going to address it. If Max Caster is on the show, you got to think he's going to do some sort of rap and mention it. So the Bucks and that aren't going to, and Kenny aren't going to be on the show. Punk might not even be on the show tonight. Apparently, Jericho and Moxley weren't scheduled for the show, but apparently plans have changed and now they're both going to appear on Dynamite to fill a spot. They haven't confirmed if they're going to wrestle or not, but you think that Jericho will at least be in some sort of segment because, you know, he, he told Daniel Garcia that uh, no matter what happens with your, your title match, Jericho Appreciation Society is not going to be in your corner because you weren't there for me when I beat Danielson. So maybe something will happen where Jericho will appear backstage to, you know, confront Daniel Garcia or whatever. But so basically things are changing, you know, on a web like. Like you said, MJF may return. You've crowned your first ever trio champions. Kenny Omega's first pay per view in over nine months, everything. But now Kenny and the Bucks really can't celebrate their trio's title win or set up their first challenges because now they've been suspended. <laughs> oh, it's all just starting to fall apart a little bit, and now they're going to have to bounce back in a really big way if they if they're going to have any chance against Triple H's WWE. Well, speaking of which, obviously there was a big crowd of weekend and everything uh, for wrestling. So Tony Khan, by the way, in terms of comments, he's not getting off scot-free here because he he said some things about the competition this weekend. This is in the media scrum. This is a long one, so bear with me. Uh, we're talking about, we said, there's a big difference between this year and last year. We were the first, first and only professional wrestling show on Labor Day weekend last year. This year, we were the third. I don't think this is a coincidence. And when I think about things I wasn't thrilled about, I was a little surprised that we were the third professional wrestling show this weekend. It's probably more than a little challenging in the marketplace when it becomes a little bit more crowded. So our performance in prior years, we never had this kind of competition. This is kind of a first for AEW in this kind of crowded marketplace. I'm not sure if this is what we'll see from now on. If it is, when the fight is brought, I will continue to bring the fight on my own. I have unique ways to do that. I have a lot more. I have a lot of money to fight with. This is not a game to me. This is my life. I don't think. I don't think this is a joke. I think this is serious. And then he says. I, when I compared myself to Jim Crockett Promotions this weekend, I think I got a little taste of the same medicine. I have, like, I, I got a little taste of the same medicine Jim Crockett Promotions took. But I have a lot more fucking money than Jim Crockett did. I'm serious. I'm not going to take back and take this fucking shit. Mm. Oh, I'm sorry. Like You set yourself up as an alternative to another thing because fans weren't happy with that thing. And then that thing is now competing with you. Competition is seemingly what a lot of fans seem to want right now. And you're annoyed that you have a competitor running at the same time as you, despite the fact that's what wrestling companies have been doing for fucking years. Yeah, and they finally the competition has changed because yeah. the guy that's run it for decades has basically been run out of the company for a midst of a series of allegations, 
And now his son-in-law is running stuff which people appreciated more. And he seems to have a better connection with the fans. So people are tuning into the competition more. So now you they have to adjust. You can't just sort of go do a Ronda Rousey and sort of show off how much money you've got. Just look at, look at your product. Take a good long look at your product. Take a good long look at your talent. And find their strengths and weaknesses and work with it. Like and don't and obviously get get a grip on talent relations as well. If if your performers are allowed to go off the off the off the hinges like they did at the media scrum, it's just going to create trouble. Yeah, it's weird because a lot of people joked about we had fifteen matches on that pay per view, but the most entertaining entertaining thing to come out of all out was a fucking media scrum because all this shit's coming out and like yeah. If anything, the WWE stepping up and hosting these big shows the same weekend as you. Surely you should hit as a compliment because it shows they're trying something different because maybe they see you as competition, which means maybe you are doing something right and should look at the things you're doing right because right now you're doing a lot of things fucking wrong right now, Tony. Mm. Yeah. And, and I don't know what you think of this, but I've seen a lot of people saying that isn't it funny that the minute Cody, Cody, who a lot of people said was too all over the place and was one of the more negative parts of AEW, the minute Cody left, things really started to go to shit for AEW. Oh, yeah. Was, it was, was Cody all secretly the filter for Tony Khan all along? And WWE welcomed him back with open arms as well. Oh. Uh, when he when he inevitably wins the Universal title, that, that's going to be WWE's big fuck you. <laughs> he put himself into a situation that he immediately regretted about taking himself away from the title picture. I mean, grew to hate the EVP situation. Now he's back in WWE with a lot more freedom, and he's he's likely going to win the title. If he's healthy enough, I imagine they'll bring him back to win the Royal Rumble. Mm-hmm. And it's a case of like, look at me now. He's basically doing to AEW what he did to Vitti, who was trying to do WWE when he left all those years ago to go to Japan and Ring of Honor. It's the the Cody returning will be be huge, definitely. I mean, his injury was a bit of a setback, but. There are talks he is probably going to be the one to dethrone Roman. Yeah. Given that, you know, they didn't go with Drew at Clash of the Castle. Yeah, I think Drew and Cody were the two looks likely. So now that Drew's out, then they feel like Cody is now the front runner. So, but don't about you said your AEW looking at their talent. Let's look at some of their talent, shall we? Talk about the growing injury list. Two more injuries from all out. Uh, I think uh, it was a nose, a broken nose that Ruby Soho suffered during her pre-show match team with Ortiz against Sammy and Ty. And also Alex Reynolds was shown walking away from the arena on crutches following the trio's championship match. That's two more injuries. Alistair Black, or Malachi Black, sorry, mm. took the pin, surprisingly, in the six-man tag. He then was shown hugging the rest of Face uh, of Black while the cameras weren't on them and kind of seemingly saying goodbye to the crowd and now it looks like he's been giving a conditional release which which apparently the condition is he doesn't go to WWE like right away or he waits a period mm-hmm. of time which I'm sure is okay with him because apparently he's been dealing with some nagging back injuries for a mm-hmm. little while I'm sure I, he, he just, does, give, just give him the time off to heal he doesn't have, nobody needs to worry about him jumping shit or anything just yet like give him time to heal and then he can bounce back when he's when he's ready but then, but then it's off because it looks like Bobby Fish has now been released. Oh, Kyle bad, Kyle very bad week for Undisputed Era. Kyle O'Reilly's injuries seem to be worse than before because there was a photo of him post-surgery, so like he's going to be a while longer. 
God knows when Adam Cole's going to be healthy. I almost forgot Adam Cole's even in the fucking company at this stage. But Bobby, Bobby Fish is away means the initial plan clearly that the trio's final was going to be Undisputed Elite versus the Elite. But now, it looks like the one match we were seemingly wanting for since Kenny kind of left, uh, when he, the match we wanted him to come back to, it looks like it's never going to happen. We're never going to get that trio of Fish, Cole and O'Reilly versus the Elite. And they trademarked the ter- the name Paragon as well, which I think was the name they were going to go under after uh-huh. splitting from the Bucks. But, uh, you know, it's injuries have taken over and uh, injuries have effectively shocked the system of AEW. Really? Like, Bobby Fish apparently saying he was trying five times to get in a time to sit down with Tony Khan because the idea of him doing a, a kickboxing fight. I don't know if he means like he wanted to go off and do a kickboxing thing outside of AEW or if he wanted to do a kickboxing style match on uh, AEW TV, but apparently he could never get the time to sit down with Tony and discuss it, even mm. though he tried five times. And also, in that same interview, he basically called it Punk and said he wanted to fight him. He wanted a legit fight, yeah. And honestly, watching Punk's previous efforts and looking at how uh, Bobby Fish trained, I'd put a lot of good money on Bobby Fish to kick his arse. Yeah. I, w- I would agree with that, you know, <laughs> and he just has him like just do him MMA style, get throwing a bit of kickboxing as well. Just yeah. repeatedly kick him going, how much fish could Bobby Fish fry if Bobby Fish could fry fish? <laughs> oh, that's. Uh, I don't know what else to say about we hate everything's going on. I was briefly talk about the car because we've been here ages. I'm not going to read out every bloody match, but please don't. Yeah, it's too long. Give us one or two. Give me one or two of your favourites or key moments from the pay per view that stood out to you. Uh, I think the one that stood out to me was actually the shortest match: uh, Christian and Jungle Boy. Mm. Oh Luch- yes, Luchasaurus going full heel and attacking <laughs> Jungle Boy before the match, and then it just it just ends like just as quick as Seamus Bryan at Mania Twenty Eight. Like I think that's very good storytelling because when. Jungle Boy came back. Luchasaurus effectively realigned himself with Jungle Boy. But then, you know, as quick as a big show heel turn, you know, he's he's straight back with Christian. It's I think that's a case of like, aha, it was a ruse all along. Yeah. Like, I made you think I was backing your side, but I wasn't. Yeah, and the fact they made the match go so quickly as well, it's I suppose you needed a a bit of a squash match just to break up the the monotony of 15 matches that went on for a decent length of time per match. Yeah, I mean, I think it was nice to have some short matches. You had that, you had the T- the TBS tail match. I know a lot of people compared Jake Argo to Goldberg, but it did feel like a Goldberg match in that it was spam, 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 big finish. They are, they are counting a winning streak here, so she practically is a female Goldberg at this point. Yeah, I like that the TBS tail match was kept short. I loved uh, Jade's kind of She-Hulk get up as well, given that there's a plus series. Is a yeah. We well, had... Uh, I have seen quite a lot of memes about She-Hulk and it's not going down pretty well. well also, Powerhouse Hobbs kind of squashed Ricky Stark fairly quickly. Hmm? Uh, but, also, but I love the Dominic Christian. I love the reveal, like you said, of, of Luchasaurus just appearing behind him, just throwing him off the stage. Yeah. yeah. Right in front of his mum and his sister. And like the biggest bump that Christian took in that match was the slap off of Jungle Boy's mum. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you noticed the massive elbow pad that Christian had, because apparently, get get this, he's hindered as well. Mm-hmm. So, so I think it's a case of they were using this as more of an angle to basically say, like, the feed is now Luchasaurus versus Jungle Boy rather than Christian v. Jungle Boy. 
Uh, yeah, I think Jungle Boy will get his retribution against Christian at some point, but think if he just gets past the big dinosaur first, that'll be the the first thing. <laughs> ah. I just, I just like the idea. Like it's like Andy playing with his toys, and then Christian brings it. Well, I brought my dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think that's the best segue you've done in a while. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, Toy Story is a classic. It, oh, it is a classic. Some of the tag matches on the show were really solid. Like the, I mentioned, the trios match at that moment where Highman cost the match for his team because he accidentally hit John Silver with the, with the buckshot. There was a moment where John Silver did the picture roll out of the. Out of the Runway Ninja page, you think John Silver for a brief second might pin Kenny Omega. Mm-hmm. Also, to the tune of Baskin is Glory, the Scissor Me Daddy chants for the. Uh, oh, I hate that. <laughs> oh. Not, not a fan of the scissoring, are we, Dave? No, not Scissor Me Daddy. It just it makes it weird. I love that uh, they're talking about the Scissor Me like, shirts that are apparently very popular in Shop EW, and they joked about Jerry. Hey, Jerry, I heard you took advantage of the recent sale and you bought yourself a Scissor Me Daddy shirt. And goes, actually, I bought two of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you need two people for a scissoring. <laughs> and so, like, there was a lot of, like, there was twice where it looked like the, the champs were going to cost them accidentally hate, like, the champs accidentally hate each other. So it looked like they were going to cost themselves a match. But the crowd booed, like, even the show of respect by Keith Lee afterwards because they were so annoyed about them losing. Apparently, during the media scrum, when they were asking questions, they swerved in our glory. Tony can tease that. They might book a rematch for the uh, for Dynamite Grand Slam. Do you think there's a case? Of, I don't know who they had the plan for a beat the the chance right now, but do you think there's a case of Tony Khan listen to the fans how they respond and things like maybe this maybe I'll put the rematch and this time they actually put the titles on the acclaimed. Mm. I mean, if the acclaimed are getting that kind of response, it would be very unwise to ignore mm. what your fans are after. But I think that match was the longest of the card after. Jericho Bryan mm-hmm. and I think given enough time and possibly a stipulation as long as there's a story behind it I reckon they could pull off match of the night on a Grand Slam show yeah I think so as well I think again it's a case of like listen to the fans a lot of people were saying that well, they should have like called an audible and put it on the, the, the end. but if you build to the rematch I think it makes it even more special because Having the Grand Slam, I mean, we've seen the last year one at that Arthur Ashe Stadium. It's fucking size of the place. It's a hell of a, a venue for, you know, for wrestling. Uh, so that would be really into to seeing that. Uh, it's, like, it's a case of, like, they are, like, a homegrown act. Seemingly, they kind of properly came together in AEW. They said they got the most wins, apparently, of any homegrown team, and they've got one of the best-selling shirts going right now. So mm. it's of showing that, like, getting yourself over or so organically and everything does pay off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I remember, I'm reminded of a tweet that was said by Will Osprey, I think it was, to Kevin Nash. It was yes. like, did you hurt your quads writing this tweet? And then he responded with like, uh, how much merch have you sold? That kind of thing. <laughs> uh, uh, young people and old people, I think. Kevin Nash may have said something or had something with with KMA as well because during his long introduction he goes he is Will Osprey and Kevin Nash's favorite wrestlers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but given we won't get the match at, uh, with the undisputed elite or anything soon, who do you actually want to see when they come back for the suspension? Who do you want to see the elite face for the trio titles? Um, hard to say really. Um, 
probably just one of the other teams that competed in the tournament. I would like to see Best Friends win it at some point, though. But maybe that's just me being a bit of a Best Friends mark. No, no, I mean, they are popular, you know, for a reason. You know, they've got Orange Cassidy in them, I think. Uh, maybe Death Triangle or Arby, you know, proponent as well. Or mm-hmm. they get some outside trios in because they did that for this this tournament. But speaking of Best Friends and Death Triangle and everything, what do you think of the... One of the other decisions for me on the pre-show was setting up a potential for Orange Cassidy to challenge for the All-Atlantic title. And then Pac just ran him down saying he doesn't deserve it. So like, is it a case of like they're turning Pack officially a heel again, or what the hell is happening there? He's definitely better as a heel, you know, especially with his intense character. Uh, I think it's sort of really easy as long as he leads the charge with Death Triangle. There's definitely potential there for him to be a strong champion, even though the All Atlantic is practically you know a second mid card title at this point. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I really like the women's title match. You know, like for once they've got proper time. The the four way. They really set up, really did a lot of good to set up the potential split between Jamie Hayter and uh, Britt Baker. Even in the, like, the sort of clip of like Britt trying to talk to her and she stormed the line, no, you don't talk to me, you don't look at me, like, screw you, basically. And Tony Storm getting the win, which I think she was always meant to. So, mm-hmm. and Rosa comes back and allegedly she said, so I didn't hear her exact quote because I didn't watch all the media scrum, but she was said when, uh, she said that when Thunder Rosa decides she's ready to come back or she decides she's not injured or whatever, basically implying that maybe even Toy Sorman doesn't think that doesn't think that Thunder Rose is really injured. Mm-hmm. There you go. Maybe you know, wrestling there's a lot of stuff when you listen to watch the bit stuff from the nineties, like, oh so and so had to eat with this or this person didn't wear a job, this person or this guy went off the book and everything. And stuff from the nineties, like your Sean Bretts or your typical WCW politics and stuff that we think. He's got, thank God we're in a different you know, era today. But looking at AEW, like, they're fucking bringing all this shit back. This is what it's becoming like. Punk is like a mixture of Brett and Sean from the 90s at their fucking worst here. Mm, yeah. Oh, so much backstage drama. It's all, even though it was great from a wrestling standpoint on the show, all this backstage drama that's like more. It feels more like stuff I you want to talk about on a podcast than the actual match themselves. Because when you get to the match, you're like, hey, that was good." Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Like the media scrum was just sort of essentially it overshadowed everything that happened all out. Yeah, it really, it really did. And we've been here for quite a long time, mm-hmm. you know, but not as long as bloody these shows. All these shows put together felt like is watching all this wrestling. It's easy to get burned out. I, I yet somehow I first spend the time to watch NXT and Raw from this week. Did mm-hmm. for the for the purposes of this show, so I'm gonna give it some time. I'm, not, I'm gonna wait until that early Saturday morning, like I usually do, watch the match. I'm gonna take myself a little break from. I'm gonna take a little break from uh, from wrestling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just too much. Yeah, you just sort of got to pick and choose. Yeah, these days. You really do have to pick into it nowadays, but we thank you people for choosing to listen to ESSR and listen to the very long episode of ESSR Central. Thank you for, we hope you'll check out our past episodes of Central. We hope you'll check out our future shows like Wrestling Mixtape that uh, came out recently. It's our first of a new kind of feature show we're trying to do. We've got some other ideas or some shows we've done before, but we're moving into the audio realm. Uh, so stay tuned for our future shows that come out every Tuesday. 
see what we're going to do next. Check out Central on every Thursday, like I said. East meets West, which is the New Japan show, happens every so often. I think in a couple of weeks we'll do another episode because we're getting to the end of the, a big tour that New Japan are doing right now. Saturday, Draft Live, myself, Dave, our regular co-hosts of that show every Saturday. But uh, we're not co-hosts this week. It'll, it'll be Jack Graham and Ryan Dalgish looking at everything, how the draft has been affected by this weekend and everything that happened on TV. And we look forward to coming back next week on Central to talk about how this dynamite you know, completely dated this episode of Central before it even came out. And we could talk about that before the following episode of Dynamite A ages that show terribly as well because mm-hmm. everything in this can change from week to week. But, you know, we've got an interesting episode of SmackDown coming up. Uh, Raw looks great next week, so hopefully it'll be slightly quieter next week at Central. But, you know, knowing us, something think major will break the minute we press stop recording. Yeah, I can tell somebody's probably, someone's probably going to get fired on Dynamite. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. But I think one way or another, you can tell MGF's about to become the next AEW champion, and I think it's rightfully deserved. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, thank you, everybody. Thank you, David Otney, for, yep. uh, for you know, gracing us with your presence, as it were. Of course, no problem. I've been Scott McLeod, once again, taking over from Ross. Ross doesn't get back till very late Wednesday next week, so I will probably be hosting next week as well. Who will I have? Will it be someone other than Dave? Who knows? Or will Dave go for the hat-trick and try to keep the match ball? We'll see what happens next week. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.